turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Online at letstalkfaith.com. Or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre-recorded. There is no command in any of the New Testament letters for us to give a tithe. There is no command. There is no exhortation that says Christians today are to tithe. Now that's very significant. We've been saying throughout this series of messages on the church that there is a lot of confusion out there. Today we are going to be talking about another area where Christians disagree, causing a lot of confusion. We're talking about giving, or as some call it, tithing. You've tuned into Verse by Verse, a ministry of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Our goal is to teach what the Bible says, not what man says. It can be surprising sometimes how sure we are that what we have always heard to be true doesn't necessarily come from the pages of the Bible. I'm sure that you are going to have some questions as we go through this study. You may want to go back over this message by listening to it online. Pastor Steve is our teacher. Here he is with today's message from God's Word. I once read about a woman who was complaining to her friend about how much money her church costs to run. She said, our church costs so much money, they're always asking for money. To which her friend replied, some time ago, a little boy was born in our home. He cost us a lot of money from the very beginning. He had a big appetite. He needed clothes medicine, toys, and even a puppy. Then he went to school, and that cost a lot more. Later, he went to college, and then he began dating, and that cost a small fortune. But in his senior year at college, he died. And since the funeral, he hasn't cost us a penny. Now, which situation do you think we would rather have? After a meaningful pause, her friend continued, as long as this church lives, it will cost money. When it dies for want of support, it won't cost us anything. A living church, she said, has the most vital message for the world today. Therefore, I'm going to give and pray with everything I have to keep our church alive. You know, a church does cost a lot of money to run. There are maintenance expenditures for the upkeep of buildings. Utility bills have to be paid. Skyrocketing health insurance costs, educational materials that must be purchased office supplies that are needed, salaries of staff personnel, and numerous other expenses for the ongoing daily operation of the church. But have you ever wondered why the early church had any expenses? Have you ever wondered what the expenses were, the first century church? After all, in the apostolic era, churches didn't have any buildings or properties to maintain. They all met in private homes. Nor did they have to pay for any written materials because the printed page hadn't even been invented then. Nor did they have to deal with many of the budgetary items that today's churches are faced with, like the upkeep of modern equipment, postage, 
conferences, youth programs, building funds, even a Christian school, and on and on it goes. Yet even, folks, without these expenses, the New Testament teaches that in the early church, offerings were to be taken as believers were expected to give their money when they attended church on Sunday. And I say that because in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, the Apostle Paul very plainly, very directly, very clearly states what our responsibilities are. He states this, 1 Corinthians 16:2. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper, so that no collection be made when I come. Paul told the Corinthians that when they came to church on Sunday, that's what he means, the first day of the week, that's Sunday, that each one of them, without exception, he said, each one of you was responsible to put some money aside in the collection plate. That's what he means. He said, put aside and save. So even without all the modern day expenses of running a church, first century believers were commanded to give an offering when they came to church each and every Sunday. Now, this morning, as we conclude our series on the church according to the New Testament, I want to do something that we seldom do at Lakeside, and that is talk about money. If you're visiting today, I'm sorry. I realize I'm sensitive about this. I realize if someone's visiting, think, oh, here we go again. Every church I visit, they talk about money. But honestly... Hardly ever talk about money here unless it's in the text or it's pertinent to what we're studying. But today we need to study this because we've been looking at various issues concerning the church according to the teachings of the New Testament. We've looked at a number of subjects today. We want to close this series by looking at the church and offerings. How is the church supported? So this is not an appeal to get your money. This is just an opportunity to explain to you how to obey God in this area. Now, we've already noted that if the early church didn't have many of the same expenses that we have today, then what in the world were their offerings for? What expenses did they have that they needed to take a collection every Sunday? Well, according to what we read in the New Testament, the early Christians collected money for two reasons. Why? Because they were responsible for the support of two specific groups of people. First of all, their offerings were taken for the financial support of their teachers, those pastors who taught them the Bible. We read this, for example, in Galatians chapter 6. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 6, where Paul says the one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. If you're taught the word, then make sure that the one who teaches you is taken care of. First Timothy chapter five, verse 17 says that those who labor in the word and doctrine, those elders who do that are to receive double honor. He's talking about financial remuneration. It doesn't mean they get double the salary of everybody else. Double honor simply means generously. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 14, the Apostle Paul goes through a whole passage to explain this principle that in all endeavors of life, there is reward for hard work. And he says that includes the ministry. That's his point. 1 Corinthians 9, 6 through 14. So the early church was to make sure that their 
elders, especially those who labored in the word and doctrine because they gave so much time to their study and the teaching of the word, didn't have time for an outside job or much of an outside job, they were to be taken care of. Secondly, the church collected money in order to meet the physical needs of the poor, of poor Christians, those who were destitute, like widows and orphans, and we would assume those who were blind and uh, beggars and could not work, the church was to take care of them. In First Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 and 18, Paul says, in essence, that if you have been given money by God, share it, share it with the poor. Don't hoard it. First Timothy chapter five, verse three says that we are to honor widows. Indeed, a widow indeed is a widow who has no other means of support. She has no children to take care of her. There was no government aid back then. So she is to be taken care of by the church. The context of honor means financially take care of her. Sometimes offerings were taken to minister to the physical needs of Christians in other churches and vicinities because there was a unity in the body of Christ that Paul wanted everybody to understand. And so, for example, we read in Romans chapter 16, verses 25 through 27, that Paul made an, an effort that the Gentile churches were to take an offering for the Jewish church in Jerusalem because the Jewish believers were going through severe persecution some of them couldn't work. They were ostracized by their, the unsaved Jewish community. They were out of jobs. Uh, there were many Jewish people who came for the feast of Pentecost, who came to faith in Christ. They stayed in Jerusalem, and the church was flooded with so many people, and they were poor. They were very poor. So Paul writes to the Gentile churches and, and says, look, if they took care of you, if they, if they gave you spiritual blessings, if Jewish people did, you have an obligation to help them physically. That's the essence of thought. So also understand this. Local churches in the New Testament era were taught by the apostles to be extremely sensitive in meeting the needs of poor people in their congregations. When the apostles were the first leaders of the church at Jerusalem, they were very much aware of the poor in their congregation, and they did something about it. They made sure that they were taken care of. Let me, let me show you this. We've already looked at Acts chapter 2, but let me take you to Acts chapter 4. This is the church at Jerusalem, headed up by the apostles. Notice how sensitive they were to the needs of the poor in their church. Starting at verse 32, we read this, And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonged to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. Meaning that, look, if I, if I had something and someone had need, I didn't look at it as belonging to me. It belongs to all of us. I'm going to give it to you. I'll sell some property. I'll take care of you. That's the thought here. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and abundant grace was upon them all. Of course, abundant grace was there. Of course, there was great power because people saw the credibility of the apostles ministry. That These men not, did not simply preach Jesus Christ. They lived Jesus Christ. They didn't simply talk about the gospel. They lived it out. They demonstrated their love by taking care of one another. Because the passage goes on to say, for there was not a needy person among them. For all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet. And they would be distributed to each as they had need. The unsaved community saw this. The unsaved community saw something is going on. These people have really been changed. And so that's what was taking place in the early church. And so today, 
Having already looked at several key issues related to the church, we're going to examine what the New Testament teaches concerning the church and giving. And we're going to close the series today. Now, this morning, what I think we need to do to help us to understand is to do the question and answer approach that we've used for a number of these messages in the series. So this morning, I'm going to ask two questions related to the church and monetary giving and then attempt to answer each of these questions by explaining what the Bible teaches about these specific issues. Question number one, and we're going to hopefully bring this all together. There may be questions initially in your mind, but hopefully by the end of our time together, they'll be answered. Question number one, how much money are we supposed to give? How much money are we supposed to give? Having already noted from Paul's instruction to the Corinthians that each of us, without any exception, is responsible to give some money when we come to church, what we want to find out is how much does God expect us to give? Now, for many Christians, this question about how much money to give is considered an easy one to answer because in their minds, giving is simply synonymous with the concept of tithing, tithing. And just to make sure that we're all on the same page, we understand what concepts mean. Let me tell you that the word tithe or tithing simply means 10%. Tithe is synonymous with 10%. And since there are statements in the Old Testament where Jewish people gave tithes as offerings to God, many Christians then conclude that God requires them to give nothing more, nothing less than a tithe today. But that's an inaccurate conclusion. It's a wrong conclusion. Because not only is there no command in the New Testament telling us to give a tithe, but the Old Testament never commanded a Jewish person to give a tithe either. Now, that may surprise you, so let me explain. Under the Old Testament law, the Mosaic law, the law given by God to Moses and then to the Jewish people, the Hebrew nation was commanded not to give a single tithe, but rather to give three separate tithes. The first tithe was given by the children of Israel yearly in order to support the Levites. The Levites were the priestly tribe. Some were priests. Other Levites were assistants and helpers. And they worked in the temple and they worked full time. There were always sacrifices to to make because there was always sin to atone for. They worked full time. So they were to be taken care of by the people. The tithe of the Jewish nation went to, to financially support the Levites, Numbers 18.21 says to the sons of Levi, Behold, I have given all the tithe in Israel for an inheritance in return for their service, which they perform. Leviticus 27 elaborates on this particular tithe by explaining that it was to be given in the form of agricultural produce or money, as well as farm animals. So 10% of the people's income was to be given to sustain the Levites because As I said, their religious responsibilities were full-time. It made it impossible for them to get outside employment to support themselves. So the first tithe that God required of Israel was for the support of the tribe of Levi. Their spiritual ministers, their religious ministers. But giving didn't stop there. The second yearly tithe that the Old Testament law required of the Jewish people was for the support of festivals and religious observances that took place in the temple in Jerusalem. You don't have to turn there, but 
Deuteronomy 18, verses 10 through 11 and 17 through 18, essentially say, when I bring you to the city that you are to worship me in, and that would be Jerusalem, but it would happen years from that point, that you are to bring your family together. Your families, the people of Israel are to come where there's, there's a permanent place of worship, which would be the temple, and there you are to um, gather together to eat and to worship the Lord. Have festivals, have religious holidays. Now, they were to give a tithe to support that. Somebody had to pay for the food. Somebody had to pay for all that went on, those religious ceremonies. So this makes two tithes, or now 20% of their income, that the Jewish people were required to give. But there was still another tithe, a third tithe that God demanded of them. Now, this third tithe was different from the first two tithes in that it was not a yearly tithe. They didn't have to give it every year like the first two. Rather, it was to be given every three years. Deuteronomy 14, 28 says this. At the the end of every third year, you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in that year. Passage goes on to say that this 10% was to be given to care for the poor of the land, like the widows, like the orphans. So, what we've seen by these various statements in the Old Testament is that under the Mosaic law, the Jewish people were commanded to give three tithes. And since one of them was to be given every three years, their annual giving, folks, was not 10%, but rather a little over 23% a year. And I want you to know these were not voluntary love offerings based on people's personal devotion to God. This was not an option. This was a tax, a religious tax, required taxes that went to support the government of Israel, which was totally religious in nature. Israel was a theocracy. Their government was religious in nature. So these were not optional love offerings. These are required taxes. So if we're going to conclude that our giving today is based on the Old Testament principle of the tithe, then we had better be ready to give closer to 30% of our income to the Lord rather than 10%. But listen, not only doesn't the Old Testament teach that under the law, God's people were to give a single tithe, but the New Testament doesn't teach that giving under grace today has anything to do with a tithe. Once again, let me explain. First of all, there is no command in any of the New Testament letters for us to give a tithe. There is no command. There is no exhortation that says Christians today are to tithe. Now, that's very significant because remember this, the New Testament letters, I'm not talking about the Gospels now, but the New Testament letters are specifically addressed to churches, Christians in this age concerning doctrine and behavior focused and centered, revolving around Jesus Christ. And yet there is no statement on tithing or an exhortation for us to tithe. In fact, the only time that we see, the only references in the New Testament concerning the tithe or first of all, uh, there's a couple of statements that Jesus made about the tithe concerning the Pharisees. Only statements about it. The Pharisees, remember, lived under the law. They did tithe. They were supposed to tithe. 
Not just 10%, but closer to 30%. Jesus simply mentioned them. He just mentioned that they that they gave. The only other reference is in Hebrews, in which the writer to the Hebrews simply states, he's not commanding us to do this, he simply states that Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils of war to a Gentile priest by the name of Melchizedek. And if you go back to Genesis, you see God never even commanded Abraham to do that. He volunteered to do that. But that's all. It's simply a mention. Apart from these brief statements concerning the tithe, we don't read anywhere in the New Testament where God says that we are commanded to give 10% of our income to him. However, silence about the tithe in the New Testament should not be interpreted to mean that God is silent about the amount of money he expects us to give to him. You see, while the New Testament doesn't command us to give 10% of our income, it does address the size that our offerings should be. Once again, let's look. I'd like you to turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Let's look more closely at this. This is really a pivotal uh, two verses. Verses 1 and 2. Everything else kind of springs from what we read here. 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. Now, concerning the collection for the saints, and he means a collection that I've told you about for the Jewish believers in Jerusalem. As I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. So this isn't isolated for Corinth. This is what he directed the churches of Galatia as well, other Gentile churches. Here's what he said. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper so that no collections be made when I come. Paul said, take care of it all before I get there. Now, I'd like you to notice that in these two verses, Paul not only commands every Christian to give on Sundays, but he also gives us instruction about the amount that we are to give without mentioning any specific monetary figure. Notice that Paul lays down a principle that helps us to determine how much we should give. Notice he says that each one is to put aside and save, note this, as he may prosper. Now, what he means by this is that we are to give based on how much we have financially prospered. In other words, the amount of money that you give on Sunday should be in proportion to how much money you make, your income. If God has blessed you with a higher bracket income, then give an amount in proportion to what you Make And one that reflects that you have a relatively good income. If, on the other hand, God has blessed you with a lower bracket income, then give an amount in proportion to your smaller income. That's exactly what he's saying. Now, let me balance this out. Second Corinthians chapter nine. And I would encourage you to put a bookmark there because we'll be back looking at second Corinthians nine soon. But in second Corinthians nine, seven, we read this. Each one must do. He's talking about giving now, just as he has purposed in his heart. Not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, notice this phrase, just as he has purposed in his heart. You are to prayerfully consider how much God wants you to give based on how he has prospered you. You won't find a percentage here. God said, You decide, but decide based on how I've prospered you as you purpose in your heart. Pray, ask the Lord for wisdom, and then give based on what he lays upon your heart. 
But whatever amount you decide to give, and that's up to you, just make sure that you do not get locked into a 10% mentality that governs your entire outlook on giving because you think that's what the law says. It doesn't. So don't be stingy with God. You'll see that more in a few minutes. Don't be stingy with God. It's not a waiter that you're tipping. It's your God that you're worshiping. Listen, no Jewish person under the Mosaic law gave a mere 10% of their income. And as we're about to see, the New Testament calls believers today to make sure that our giving reflects a heartfelt appreciation for the Lord and his wonderful salvation. So be careful about getting stuck on 10% as an inflexible guideline for your giving. It's not a biblical guideline. Did you get that? God is not a waiter that we are tipping. He is our God that we are worshiping. Let's not be stingy with God. He has given us more than we can possibly imagine. Everything we do for God or give to God is an act of worship. Giving should never be about obligation or simple obedience. It is about gratitude and love. How thankful are you for what God has done for you? Does it show in what you give? I hope you are glad that you tuned in to Verse by Verse today. This message will continue next time, so you don't want to miss any part of it. If you can't make it, you can find this message and many others at versebyverseradio.org. You can also give a gift to the ministry online, by phone, or by regular mail. That phone number is 727-239-0306. We're out of time for